Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than deny myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here, so let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Melissa Blanchonet. She lives in South Florida, where she is an architectural and design representative for a large paint manufacturer. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am really glad to have you here with us today, and we really look forward to hearing your story. So I like to start off by asking, what brought you to intermittent fasting, and when was that? So I will give you the most abridged version without taking out the important stuff. I had started a new position in my work life in November of 2016. By May of 2017, I had reverse dieted my way up to probably about 194 pounds. I went back to an old reliable friend of mine, which is a horrible place to go, but I went back to diet pills and I was on Fentermin. Been there, done that. You knew I had a history with that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's what makes your story so relatable to what I was going through when I found you. But I was in a Fenterman support group, actually, and somebody mentioned your Facebook group. So I was like, what is this all about? I never heard... Okay, scratch that. I'd never heard of you, but I had heard of fasting um, because at that point I had been counting macros. Like I say, I reverse dieted myself up to 195. I'd started at 172 and was counting macros and doing a lot of weightlifting and had heard of intermittent fasting from Dr. Sarah Solomon. And she's a chiropractor who also is sort of a bodybuilder and she believes in intermittent fasting. She's beautiful. <laughs> She's gorgeous. It's drop dead gorgeous and is t- totally in control of her body. So I aspired to what she was laying down. And so at that same moment is when I found your group 
And that was back in, I want to say at that point, that was probably in October. So I had been fiddling with Sarah Solomon's approach um, and then found your group in early October. Of 2017. Of 2017, correct. Okay. So then after I found your group, of course, I read your book and it was so relatable because of the Fentiman story. So here I am with a handful of pills and in the other hand, I have your book. And I looked at those pills and I was like, be gone. And I cast them out of my life because I was back into that same cycle that I had done for almost 10 years, which was take diet pills, lose sleep, lose weight, get to goal be there, hang out for a while, and then gain it all right back. Right. And in the meantime, you're living like a crazy person because your energy levels are everywhere. Fentermin, unfortunately, can cause mood swings. So I have a four-year-old. At the time, she was two and a half, three. And, you know, mothering takes a lot of patience. It's a job I fully love and enjoy, but I wasn't showing up for my daughter the way I should. In the times previous that I had taken Fentermin, it never mattered because I didn't have a little person to take care of. So my mood swings could just be like, well, you know, Melissa's having a bad day. But this was entirely different. I don't think that we realize how harmful those products are. You know, we've got a a local physician here that I just found out this weekend is, I I was like super excited when I started hearing the story because they were, someone was like, I've heard from two people that they're going through this doctor and doing intermittent fasting. And I'm like, that's thrilling. She's like, no, wait. There's more. He's also prescribing fentramine at the same time. Yikes. Yeah. As the intermittent fasting. And so, you know, I was prescribed it by a doctor. And we're in the mindset that, well, if my doctor is telling me to do this, it's got to be good for my body. But did you feel just completely ragged out like I did? I don't really know the right words for it. But just like, it just isn't a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. And there's actually a term I've come across. It's called quanked. It's actually an obsolete word that I'm bringing back. I like that word. (laughs) Kind of like fetch. (laughs) Yeah. So quanked is like when you wake up from eight or nine hours of sleep, which you don't get on Fentiman. You get maybe four or five. Yeah. And then you wake up and you are still exhausted. I just constantly felt wired and exhausted at the same time, which is a very strange in-between place to be. Exactly. And you couldn't eat because it does take away your appetite, but it's not doing favors to your metabolism. Not at all. So I found myself where I was, I had been, you know, doing all this macro stacking and then on the Fentiman, I was still trying to kind of live by a macro lifestyle, but it was so much food and none of it was satisfying. And the prep and all of that stuff that goes along with County Mac, God bless people who do it. I did it for probably about a year. Yeah. And all the food prep and all the the eating of the leftovers, like I can't stand the taste of um, leftover chicken unless it's just cold. Like I'll eat a cold chicken leg in a minute, but oh, yeah. um, like reheated chicken, I don't love unless it's like in a dish that's drowned in like casserole goodness. So like eating, you know, chicken and broccoli for four days in a row with my rice and whatever, it was just kind of, you know, demoralizing. And I got to a point where I rebelled against the macros. And that's basically right about when I found you. And your story just resonated. Well, it is a lot of work having to count everything and really say, okay, I couldn't even imagine it. Sometimes people ask me, they're like, I would like to know exactly, you know, what you're eating for a day or maybe a week. Would you track everything for a week? And it just, I'm like, no, I just can't. No, it's it's exhausting. <laughs> and again, you know, being in a new position with a kid and my home life, I just didn't have the time to devote to prepping, macro counting, checking. I was always looking at my phone. I wasn't looking into my beautiful daughter's face. I was always dealing with, well, what am I going to pack? And I work on the road a lot, meaning I'm in my car an awful lot. So I would have to pack like four or five ridiculous meals that were cooler friendly because I'm in South Florida and it gets really hot down here. So anything like a yogurt is going to spoil in a hot minute, right? literally a hot minute. So I just found myself at a point where I was just frustrated with living the same life that I'd been living and the results weren't coming. That was the other thing was I started Fentiman in May and by October I was, I was down maybe 10 pounds, but that's in the world of Fentiman weight loss, that's like a one month loss. And I was still struggling. So the pills weren't working the way they had in the past. 
that is also key. And when we understand how the body works and how our metabolisms adapt and feel like we're starving to death because, oh, guess what? We are with the diet pills because we're eating, you know, little bits here and there, but we're missing out on the magic of the clean fast because we're not fasting. And so they do become less effective over time. Because our metabolisms are slowing. I really think it tanked my metabolism because I did the diet pills off and on from 2001, maybe, till maybe about 2005, off and on. I mean, it's just stay in a healthy weight range. I felt good about myself, but I had to keep going back on them. And then they got less effective and I started feeling worse and worse. And then when I finally said no more of this, that's when my weight started to balloon. Right. <laughs> I, I think it really affected me long term. Yeah, the bounce back is really awful, you know, and I'm still a part of the Fenneman group just because it's I haven't eliminated it from my phone. And I see so many people doing the same thing I did, which was this worked for me three years ago. I'm back on it and I'm only eating 800 calories a day. Amazing. And I think, oh, good Lord, I was there. I know that feeling and I know that it's, it's going to lead, it's a road to ruin, quite frankly. Right. It's a road to ruin. It's disconcerting that they're still prescribing them. I know I keep saying that, but that, that the doctors will just give it to you. Yeah. I mean, it's that temporary fix. It's that temporary fix. And, you know, there is good that comes out of it because you are getting the weight off. But when it becomes a lifestyle, which it was for me, like I literally was on and off diet pills for 10 years. And it's shameful for me to bring that out into the light and friends and family who will be listening to this will be like, oh, maybe that's why she was a crank all those days. <laughs> well, I'm glad we're talking about it because I did it too. And we look back and we're like, I can't believe it. But I mean, it was legal. We were getting it from a doctor. It was prescription. I guess the reason the doctors have to keep giving it to you is because if you don't get it from them, you'll go down the street to a different weight loss clinic. I could think of, you know, five weight loss clinics right here in my town where I could go get it today. No doubt. They would just give it to me. Yeah, absolutely. And being in South Florida, we don't wear a lot of clothes a lot of the year. So, and I'm in an kind of an image industry. So I'm very cognizant of how I look. And so it's very easy when things aren't working the way you want them to, to go back to the thing that, you know, did work. But I've learned that every time I go off it, I gain the weight and it brings friends. And I just couldn't sustain that any longer. So you found intermittent fasting and what did that transition look like? Uh, I dived right in and I started at... 18.6. And then I moved into 19.5 once I got past the three-week mark. The three-week mark for me was really tough. I was coasting along. I was doing great. And then all of a sudden, I hit a wall. And now I know that that was probably when my glycogen stores were finally kind of at their bottom. But man, I thought, holy smokes, I have just run myself right into adrenal fatigue, which was something that I had dealt with in my past and didn't want to have to go back to you know, eating six times a day to get myself back up. And I thought, what is going to happen here? So going into the groups and finding out what that was, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm still on the good foot here. I just have to kind of power through this. That's where the support is so helpful because you can ask the question and we're like, no, no, that's typical, normal, and this is about the point when it happens. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me that so many people have taken, you know, so many different approaches. But, you know, the bottom line is that these functionalities, regardless of your approach to intermittent fasting, these things are still true. Whether you're doing it 16-8, you're going to hit a bottom at some point. And you're going to have to take a look at what is happening in your world. And reaching out into the support groups was vital to me in those first few months. So yeah, I started fasting with your methods, with the clean fast and growing up and drinking black coffee like a psychopath. <laughs> I joke with my husband. He's he's always drank black coffee and he attributes that to his time in the Navy. And I say, well, I'm civilized. I drink it like with my cream, my cream and my sugar. And he's like, no, you don't know what real coffee tastes like until you taste the black. So I started doing the black coffee. Yeah. And how long did it take you to adjust to that? Because I swear that is like the number one roadblock to so many people. Yeah, it's a huge obstacle. So I forced myself to adjust to it, didn't love it and stuck with it until probably the summer of 18. And in the summer, I really like iced coffee. So blending it and putting it over ice was like revolutionary when I saw that up in the Facebook group. So I started doing that and that eased my you know, liking of the black coffee. Plus my husband has invested in a brand new coffee maker that you know, requires fancy beans. So we get better coffee now and it really does make the difference. 
I think so, too. And you really can adjust, even though it seems like, you know, it's hard. I feel like this. If you like the smell of coffee, you know, if someone likes the smell, you're going to be able to adjust to the taste of it. It's just a matter of time. Now, if somebody hates the smell of coffee, they're probably not going to like the taste ever. But, you know, even when I thought black coffee was disgusting, I always loved the smell of coffee. Agreed. Yes. That is the smell that perks me up right up in the morning. But I got it in my head after a while of fasting that maybe the coffee was spiking my insulin. That is not the case now that I know better of what my body was going through, which we'll get to. But there was a moment where I felt that I had to abandon the black coffee. So I switched over to sparkling water which was also great. So I did the LaCroix, the blue LaCroix, and those actually got really hard to find in my neighborhood for some reason. (laughs) So I started hoarding them. My husband was like, you're a crazy person. (laughs) Oh, I get it. Well, it's hard to find the unflavored. I sent my husband to find some not very long ago. And he was like, they didn't have any unflavored. I'm like, well, that is ridiculous because everything's all the flavored. And we know that's a no-no on the clean fast. So I started with the unflavored and that was probably, I guess I got down, I lost about 16 pounds intermittent fasting with the clean fast from October until November, December. And I put up a post of me wearing a red dress. So comparing myself back to May when I had started my Fenterman and the red dress post got like a lot of likes because it was a very fetching dress. And I was in a size I hadn't been in since before my pregnancy, but the number on the scale wasn't showing much more weight loss, but I could tell my body was repositioning things so that I looked like a much smaller size. Right. And I am a daily wearer. So you fit into that dress. That's the thing. And I have clothes like that too, clothes from back in the day that I wore back in my diet pill days, actually, when I was at a really slim weight. But the weight was lower on the scale, but I fit into these clothes better now. Right. So that's that magic of the fat loss that fasting does for us because we're fasting clean. We tap into those fat stores and we shrink because we're not losing the muscle and muscle is more dense. Fat is more fluffy. So we're smaller at at that weight. Absolutely. And it was funny because my initial fear when I started fasting, I was so ready to give over on working out for an hour and a half every morning and all of that stuff. So I walked away from a lot of my heavy lifting workouts when I started fasting, just because first of all, in the first few weeks, you are sort of your energy levels are kind of wonky. Oh, yeah. And then I decided, well, why do I want to stress my body out on all these levels? Let's just see where this fasting takes me because the 80-20 rule of, you know, 80% of your results are going to come from 20% of your effort concentrated on the right things. And everyone's always talked about how much your diet really matters in weight loss and not so much the exercise. Exercise is a wonderful outlet. I've used it all my life. But I remember there were times when I was exercising like a fiend and nothing was happening. There was no body recomposition. I was just hungrier at the end of the day and more tired at the end of the day and not getting those results. So I thought, let me flip this script over now that I'm starting kind of like this new lease on life. And let me back down on the exercise for a little while and see where this takes me. And happily, I haven't gone back to lifting heavy weights. I'm so thrilled not to have to do that. And I still have maintained my musculature. I do hot yoga four days a week for more for stress relief, but I've seen changes in my body still. I can't attribute it to, you know, pounding a bunch of weights in the gym. Okay, so you're doing something now that actually you enjoy doing more, the hot yoga, because it's stress relief. I just can't get over the hot. (laughs) How hot is it? Is it really, really hot? You know, it depends on the studio you go to. They have warm yoga too. And I always tell people, give it three shots. Like if after the third time you've gone, you still hate it, then maybe it's not for you. And there's certain spots you can ask the studio managers, like where are the hottest spots and where are the cooler spots? And you can find a cooler spot even inside of that envelope, that classroom. So that might be a way to get around it. (laughs) But I just love it. Yeah, I do like being hot. I like being hot. I love, you know, living here in Georgia where it's hot. I like to sit outside. My son is here, um, the one that's getting ready to move to San Francisco. And he's just, 
complaining, complaining about how hot it is. <laughs> well, he will love San Francisco because it's cold there always. <laughs> He's going to. I know. He's going to love it. He was looking at the temperature and comparing it. But something about hot yoga just, I don't know, it just sounds really like like, I feel like I would throw up or something. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. You know, maybe you wouldn't, but it does take some getting used to, I will say it. And there's also different kinds of heat. So if you have your choice, I would recommend going to an infrared studio instead of a forced hot air studio because the forced hot air just feels like you're in a really stuffy room. And that's really uncomfortable when you're getting into some of these poses. But the infrared is like doing yoga outside on a hot sunny day. And I know that infrared light is really good for our bodies. Yeah. And I can tell you, I've noticed at one point I was kind of straddling two studios and going because this other studio was opening and I still had classes at the old studio. So I would go to the old studio and they had the forced hot air. And then I would go to the new studio and I just felt cleaner, more revitalized after my sessions at the new studio. And I finally inquired as to why. And they said it was the infrared. And I going back to your podcast, I was like, oh, that makes total sense now. It's a much more comfortable, I mean, if you can be comfortable in 101 degree heat, it's a much more comfortable type of heat. So if you're looking for hot studio, you should look for infrared heat. I feel like I could. Maybe I'll try hot yoga. I did try yoga in, I think, December, and it made me a little queasy, just the whole up and down like going upside down and then right side up. I know that sounds really crazy. <laughs> no, no, there can be times of vertigo for sure. And, you know, that might be one of the things you can actually improve is your balance because that does feed into that. Or maybe you're having trouble with your inner ear. Did you think of that? Maybe. I've always had vertigo. Like I get motion sick. I'm the kind of person that if you go to one of those rides at a theme park where you're like, even if you're sitting in the chair, but it looks like everything's moving, I get queasy. <laughs> I don't know what it is. So we digress. So you love the hot yoga and you enjoy it a lot more than when you were doing the power lifting that really was just not as much fun for you. But you're finding that you're keeping your muscle, which is a great thing. Yeah, I find that I'm keeping my muscle and I'm also learning to be a little more meditative instead of just, you know, when you're throwing weights around, this is not meant to sound like a criticism of people who do. But I felt like I was kind of like, I would get home and be so pumped up from doing that, that like I would kind of attack everything. I broke my microwave door one day coming home from, <laughs> from a workout and I was, and it was so light. And I just, I literally slammed it and it's, it just spattered into a, a thousand pieces. And my husband was like, you might want to dial it back a little, babe. And you were like the incredible <laughs> Hulk, right? <laughs> yeah. Yoga puts me in a totally different place. I come home blissed out from that. I'm not cracking any microwave doors in half uh, after a yoga class. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's buyoptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face -face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on 
on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. So you talked about how when you first were starting from October to December, you lost about 16 pounds. How has your weight continued since then? Because, you know, that was October through December of 2017. So we've had, you know, a year and a half since then. What What's happened to your weight in that year and a half? Well, a few things have happened in my life, if you'll permit me to kind of share that. So I got to the summer of 2018, and I was still kind of holding steady at about 23 pounds lost. I was down to my pre-pregnancy weight, but I always get stuck right there. Like I always plateau. So I thought, okay, time to switch it up because we're all an experiment of one. At that point, I was still doing the seltzer water instead of the black coffee. And then I started tapping into some of the keto methodologies. So I started looking at keto and I got the MCT oil and I got the clarified butter and I started doing this whole thing. And I missed fruit. You know, we live in a beautiful place that coconuts literally and mangoes are dripping off the trees here. And we were coming into summer and I was starting keto. All of a sudden, my clarity disappeared but darn it, I was taking that MCT oil in the morning and I was in ketosis. I had the keto mojo meter. It was telling me I was in ketosis more so than ever than with regular intermittent fasting. But you know why, right? Yeah, I do know. I do know. <laughs> you want to tell you want to tell everybody why? <laughs> well, it's because you were making ketones from that MCT oil. You know, you weren't making them from your stored fat. And so you're like, oh man, look, I'm in super deep ketosis. Well, you have a lot of ketones, but they're not coming from your body fat. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah so that was what was happening. I was just deluding myself. You know, I had the meter, I had all the the recipes, I bought into a recipe book. And what ended up happening all of a sudden was a, a couple things. I lost my clarity, the awesome clarity that I get from intermittent fasting to tackle a day's worth of work was just absolutely gone. My energy levels sank. I had zero stamina. And all of a sudden, I started experiencing crazy hot flashes. And when I'm saying hot flashes, I'm talking power surges 15 times a day, 10 times at night. Like it was really awful. And these came out of nowhere. And you're not old enough for that to be like menopause. No. At the time I was 43, I had a natural pregnancy at 39. And I thought there's no way I could get pregnant naturally at 39 and at 40, you know, 42, 43 be going into menopause. This is craziness. So I knew something was definitely up. It took me a little while to disengage from the keto lifestyle and to finally throw in the towel because I'm kind of the personality that says like, if I have a set way in front of me and if I stick to the rules, by golly, it's going to work. I just know it's going to work. I don't know if that's hope. What is that that talks to us? (laughs) What is that? (laughs) We get all in. You know, you're like, you buy into something and you're like, I am all in. This is works. I've read about it. It worked for this other person. This is the science. It sounds good to me. I am all in. I think that's what it is for me. Agreed. I just buy in and I'm so hopeful this is the thing. Well, you know, after a whole lifetime, literally I've been on every plan. Weight Watchers, Jenny Craig, you know, Dr. Weight Loss, Fenderman pills, all of it. And I just thought, okay, if this is one tweak that I can make to something that I love and I know I'll do forever, which is, you know, the delay, don't deny approach to intermittent fasting. If this one keto tweak will get me there, then really I'll be sitting top of the pops. So when it stopped working or it never really started to work, I actually ended up gaining nine pounds. So, (laughs) so now I'm heavier. Oh, so with keto, you gained nine pounds. Okay. I did. It was all that fat that I was eating and not metabolizing well. So I decided to go to my OBGYN and get a full panel of thyroid workup because my mom has history of thyroid issues. And I thought, okay, maybe this is what's going on. And it was October and October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. I don't know if you know that. But I heard the PSAs over and over, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And as I went into the OBGYN office, 
I said, okay, I need all these time. I, I gave them a laundry list as long as my leg for all the thyroid tests I wanted, thanks to your podcast. And I'm grateful for that because more information is always better. And I said, oh, while I'm at it, I'd like to get a prescription for a mammogram. I skipped last year and there's history in my family. I probably should get on that. And he's like, okay, sure, no problem. So he wrote me a prescription. That was in October of 2018. So here I am, heavier than I want to be and not feeling great and looking for the answers. So I went for my mammogram and that was probably two weeks later. And in November of 2018, I was diagnosed with stage one interductal carcinoma breast cancer. Wow. So yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> um, wow is um, an understatement and it kind of rocks your whole world. Uh, I decided at that point, it was probably in great thanks to this lifestyle that I was able to say, I know something's wrong. My hormones are out of whack. Something needs to be looked at. So I know for a fact that had I not done that, had I not taken a look, I would never have gone for that mammogram. I would have put it off another year. I seriously would have. Because you were in tune with how you were feeling and you knew that something was not right. Yes, 100%. And this was such a different way than I've ever approached my own body. My body is something I've been at war with for years. And I've always just sort of cast aside what it was telling me because I had a goal in front of me. But this was different because intermittent fasting had taught me to listen, finally, to listen to what your body wants and what it needs and maybe what it's signaling you that it's trying to heal. And I know my body was looking for homeostasis and I'm sure that's why the hot flashes were happening more and more is because my body was sending out a distress signal, like something's up, something's up. And sure enough, breast cancer, there's lots of types of breast cancer, I'm sad to say, but several of them are hormone driven. And my breast cancer is 85% driven by estrogen and about 10 to 15% driven by progesterone. So as a woman, those are hormones that we make sort of in abundance. Bearing extra weight also can have an effect on your estrogen receptivity in your cancer. So once I got diagnosed, I power ate my way through the holidays because I didn't want to give up everything to cancer just yet. And I ended up packing on pounds. So now at this point, I'm almost back to where I started with intermittent fasting. And I thought, okay, January 9th, time to get real. So I cut out all the refined stuff from my diet, all the refined carbs, all the refined sugars. And from January to May, I lost 30 pounds. Wow. Intermittent fasting, clean fast. So again, this may sound like a yo-yo dieters, you know, approach, but I had a crisis in my life that I had to deal with and I emotionally resorted back to food. But intermittent fasting was always there for me when I realized, okay, time to get back control of the reins. And so I went back to what I knew and it was easy to slip back into that. Cutting out sugar was not easy because I'm sugar addicted. I will completely 100% say that. But I knew that I had a lot more at stake than just fitting into a pretty dress. Right. Because sugar is food for cancer, we hear. Absolutely. 100%. It is. And so the reality was the sugar that I love and the added fat on my body were things that were going to, in the end, be to my detriment. And I am really careful not to stigmatize food around my daughter. She's just four years old and I don't want her to have to take up the reins where mommy left off. So I've noticed that my modeling to her of foregoing certain things has started to impress itself upon her. And she doesn't really question why I don't eat because she's four, so she's kind of in her own world. But at dinner, we tried to eat together. And especially when I was cutting out the refined sugars, she would ask to have ice cream. And I would give it to her because I don't stigmatize food. Like, okay, you want ice cream? Sure, you did great on your dinner. It's time for ice cream. So I'd give her a scoop and she'd say, well, mommy, where's your ice cream? I'd say, no, I think I'm just going to have this banana or whatever it was. And pretty soon she started modeling that and she would leave half of her ice cream to the side because she wanted the fruit that mommy was eating. So 
I really am so proud of that moment with her because I feel like she intuitively already knows. We've heard this, that children kind of already intuitively know kind of how to eat or when to eat or how much to eat. And she is really into that. And I am learning as a mother not to force her past her comfort point. And I think that's hard because we take a lot of joy from watching our kids eat. We know they're getting, you know, their nutrients. Right. <laughs> I mean, I hear you talk about your boys and I know they're almost fully grown adults, right? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Which <laughs> one of is engaged to be married. So that's pretty adult. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you still fuss after them. And I've learned to stop fussing after my daughter with the eating because she knows what's up. I know when she's hitting a growth spurt because she'll eat like a maniac. And I know when she's done with her dinner, she's done. And there's no arguments about that. And it's really brought a lot of peace to the family life, to be quite frank. I think that's great because you're allowing her to trust her body. You know, when she's going through a growth spurt, she eats more food. And her body cries out for it. She's not, you know, eating more food because she's some kind of little glutton, little four-year-old glutton, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> she's listening to her body. And then when she's not in a growth spurt, when she, her body's, you know, not growing a ton right then, she might just eat a little bit. And that's okay. Yep. I've seen the pattern undulate and... She's also, again, she's not a maniac for the sweet stuff because I don't make a big fanfare like, oh, you're going to have this cupcake. It's a really big deal. Or you're going to have this piece of chocolate. It's a special treat. Nope. It's just, hey, you wanted some chocolate? Here's some chocolate. You wanted some ice cream? Here's some ice cream. Within reason. You can't have ice cream three times a day. Is this when you're choosing to have your ice cream? And I'm getting my mommy voice on right now. But Yeah, you know. uh, we all have that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These are the kinds of things that I've learned to come to be at peace with because of intermittent fasting. And now I'm using intermittent fasting as a way to get through chemotherapy. So tell us about that because, you know, there's some solid research about, and it's it's exciting research about using intermittent fasting to go through chemotherapy and how that can help with that. Of course, we are not suggesting that people, you know, take it into their own hands. You've got to work with your medical team and you've got to make sure that they're on board with what you're doing because not all cancers are the same. But explain how you're using those in conjunction with one another. Absolutely. So after my initial diagnosis, the course of action was going to be lumpectomy, which is a partial mastectomy plus radiation, no chemo. But due to some genetic tests that I agreed to having, my markers came back as a high risk of recurrence. So recurrence in breast cancer can be considered one of two different ways. They call it local recurrence if it occurs back in the breast. And that can be staged normally, so anywhere from stage one to three. And if that's if it shows up in the breast or in the lymph nodes. When breast cancer ends up in other places in your body, it can come back in your lungs, your liver, your brain, your spine. And that's considered stage four non-curable. So when I got the news that I had a high risk of recurrence according to a genetic profile, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that I had to go through chemotherapy. And that was a really tough week facing that. Making that decision to do it. Yeah, the decision was practically made for me, but it was making the the paradigm shift into like, okay, this is the reality of what my treatment is. And this is the reality of what I have to do in order to see my daughter graduate high school, et cetera. Not to make it sound so dramatic, but those were the stakes in my mind. I mean, it, it is though. It is that dramatic. It is. And I tend to minimize it. And this is something I'm working through. I have a blog and I'm putting blog posts up about it. It's, it causes a lot of emotional messy stuff. But again, because of fasting, I've been able to maintain, for the most part, a handle on the emotional eating that I used to do and a handle on getting through this chemo. So every chemo is different. I have eight courses that I have to go through. I've gone through five. I have my next one in a few days. And so I've done some reading on it. And the way that I handle my fasting is I fast 24 hours before I get my infusion. And then I will usually fast for at least the next day to day and a half or two days. But I will say it's tricky every time because they put a steroid in your cocktail. Ah. And the steroid makes you really hungry. Oh, yeah. And so if there's a moment when I'm having a really hungry time and I'm two or three days out from my chemo, I just say, okay, now it's time to honor what my body is asking for. I've done a really good job. And if it's bad 
in those early days, then I'll just have some bone broth, which has been something that I've always kind of had laying around, but I've really employed it during these fasting times as kind of almost like a down day approach. And it makes me feel not so crazy about what I'm doing. Right. Right. I think that's important because you're having to, you're, you're coming at this from a different angle than just someone who's trying to fast to lose a few pounds, right? This is not the same thing. No. And you know, this is where when I hear you say or see you write in the groups that, you know, fasting is a lifestyle with the side effect of weight loss. And for me, that has 100% rang true at this moment. So my weight at this moment fluctuates up and down five pounds. And my oncologist, who I absolutely was honest 100% with her at first, I told her right off the bat, look, I intermittent fast. I plan on using this. Are you on board with that? She was like, yes, more power to you. There's some really good research out there. So she was in my corner and that felt great. Great. She's educated on the research, and so she buys into that, which is awesome. Yes, and I was so grateful because I did have a kind of a big ah, bubble in my chest when I was going in to tell her. It's almost like confessing a dirty secret, you know? Like I, I know say- <laughs> because you don't know. Are they going to be somebody who's like, yeah, I've seen the research, go for it? Or are they going to be like, no, you cannot, I forbid it, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. And especially in the medical community, I mean, we've seen opinions are very, very polarized. So it was really good to have her in my corner and understand where I was approaching it. And so what it's done for me is it's made me feel more in control of the chemo process. And it's helped for the days that I'm nauseous to not feel obligated to have to eat something because I think my, you know, my strength is waning. No, the fact is that this is the effect of what chemo is doing to me. It's uncomfortable for five days. And When I'm done with the five days, I'll go back to my normal schedule and I'll be able to eat whatever it is that my heart was desiring. And my oncologist actually warned me. She said, you know, a lot of people think that when you go on chemo, you get skinny. But what we see is the reverse. We see a lot of people gain weight because all they want to eat is comfort foods. Right. I can imagine that. Right. I mean, it makes sense because you're emotionally in a vulnerable position. And then also, unfortunately, with chemo, and this is all chemos, they change your taste buds. So things start to taste differently. So the things that you loved before may not have that wonderful taste. So you'll go back to those processed foods or high fatty foods because first of all, they're easy to get because you're tired, you're kind of exhausted, you just grab for whatever. It's hard to go ahead and plan a whole meal and then be excited about it when your energy is down in the dumps. And then secondly, It's those things that bring you comfort, you know, macaroni and cheese is delicious. You know, if I'm making a pot for my kid and I'm feeling down in the dumps that day, I'll share a bowl with her because like that's fun. Or, you know, a pudding cup, you know, that I have all kinds of kid food laying around and kid food is highly processed. (laughs) But I, you know, I'm guilty. I give her some treats every now and then we eat whole food at home. But when you're packing a lunch, you know, sometimes you have to resort to some of these things. And It's been really nice to see that my weight has held steady and I'm not concentrating on weight loss right now. Do I want to take off another 30 pounds? Yes. Will there be a time for that? Yes. Is it while I'm going through chemo? No. My oncologist would absolutely wring my neck if she saw me losing 10, 15, 20 pounds. She would be very disappointed in me. Well, she sounds awesome. I'm glad you have such a great oncologist that that you really feel like you're part of a team with her working together. Yeah, it's been really helpful in kind of this trauma to have a team that makes sense. Now, mind you, I've had to fire some people from my team. (laughs) Good for you. Yeah, I think honestly, that can translate into everyday life. If you have a doctor who you know, sees you losing weight and still goes ahead and says that it's not good for you. I mean, I think it's time to reevaluate. I agree with you because we have people coming into the groups every day who are there because their doctor told them to try intermittent fasting or the doctor does it himself or herself. And so for a doctor to say, no, that's don't do it, especially when they see your health markers improving, find a doctor who aligns with your philosophy of healthcare. That's what I think is important. You want to be on a team. You don't want to have to lie to your doctor or hide things from your doctor. You want to be together working with a similar philosophy, I think. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it helps when everybody's got their oars in the water and you're rowing in the same direction, you know, and getting their blessing was something that was important to me because I didn't want to feel like I was doing something underhanded or to the detriment of my health. If the doctor had said to me, well, maybe that's not a great approach and here is why, and we could have discourse on that level, then that would have changed the tune for me. But I'm so grateful that I have fasting in my life during this time. So, so grateful. Grateful to you, Jen. Honestly, grateful to you. You've changed my life. Seriously. That makes me feel, I don't even know how it makes me feel because <laughs> it's, it's, I guess, humbling and overwhelming, you know, to feel like that, that my little book and our Facebook groups are, are helping you through this really, really, you said the word trauma. I mean, it's a traumatic period of your life. And I'm grateful to be there beside you. So thank you. Yeah. And I've gotten a little more vociferous about, you know, my fasting life. I've come out and posted it on my Facebook wall. And I will be writing a blog post about how I'm using it to go through my chemo. And honestly, I want to say one more thing about your groups. I ended up finding April Johnson Stearns. Oh, yeah. She's been on this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Just days after I got my diagnosis, and she told her story of being under 40 and diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was just so grateful to see that in the group. I reached out to her and I was like, you are an inspiration. Tell me more. My head is spinning. And she and I have become fast friends. And I've actually even had a piece published in her magazine that she writes for young breast cancer survivors. And that was just the thrill of a life. And I would never have known about April or her publication, honestly, because it is not as mainstream as it should be. Right. Hopefully it will be. Oh my gosh. Yes. Wildfirecommunity.org. I'm plugging her. <laughs> Definitely. Also plug your blog. And by the way, when you write this, I want you to share it in the group with my blessing. I want you to share your blog post. Say, I am sharing this with Jen's blessing and then share away. But go ahead. And what is the name of your blog? So uh, I have kind of a tart sense of humor. Oh, my favorite kind. <laughs> <laughs> I like to deal with things with laughter. I think that's the best medicine. So I've taken a term, calm your TTS, calm your tots, you know, whatever you want to fill in. And I've made that the name of my blog. So it's calmyourtts.com. I put a star in the word itself when you see it on my blog, but a star doesn't translate onto social media handles or websites. So it's calmyourtts.com. And I'm writing every week, you know, about the different kind of hot messes that this disease serves up to you because it's a revelation every time I go to an appointment that now I'll be put into menopause because of breast cancer. And after breast cancer comes anywhere from five to 10 years of hormone therapy that I'll be subjected to. And it just became a, a really tough road to navigate without any outlet because oftentimes people think of breast cancer as striking women when they're later in their life. And Unfortunately, it is happening younger and younger. I don't know why. It could be environmental. My breast cancer is not genetic. So nine times out of 10, that usually points to environmental causes. But I've become much pickier about what I put in, on, and around my body. There's a lot of anecdotal stuff out there. But like you said, sugar is a known cancer food, basically, something that cancer will readily feed on in your body. So these are all realities that I've had to adjust to. And if I can help one person feel less alone and less on Cancer Island, even if, and this may sound vainglorious, but even if that one person is me, writing this blog has been absolutely cathartic in that way. And I just want to keep getting the word out that, you know, get your screenings, don't skip a year, put yourself first when it comes to your health, because it's so vitally important that these tests are out there for you to ask for, especially if you have history in your family and you're under the age of 40, please ask for the test anyway. They need to hear you. And if they don't give you the test, have them document that they refused it. And I will tell you nine times out of 10, a doctor will change their mind and suddenly give you that prescription, no matter what the insurance company is to say. Oh, yeah. Like if you're like, all right, write it down, write down that you're refusing it. Oh, I can see that as being a very powerful tool because they don't want to do that. Well, and I've never thought to do that until someone told me, like, make sure they document if they told you no. And I thought, gosh, that's really revolutionary. <laughs> like, yes, they should know that we had this discourse and that somewhere in my history. That's a great strategy. I asked for it and he told me no. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's unfortunate we have to have those strategies to begin with. But I think if you can advocate for yourself, that's the best key to health right there is advocating for yourself. Well, it's hard because we put physicians up on a pedestal. And I don't mean that in a way I'm not downplaying physicians because- No, they're saving my life right now. So yes, exactly. <laughs> right. They're saving. So I'm not meaning that in a derogatory way, but we're afraid to challenge or ask questions because they know so much. And who am I to be asking these questions? And they do this every day. And so we can be afraid to be an advocate because we don't want to seem stupid or like we're questioning 100% them. 100% agree. And so that can keep us from asking what we need to ask. And so don't feel like, I mean, they're just a person. They put their pants on one leg at a time, right? You know, we hear that saying, but they're just a person who does have specialized training that you don't have. But you know, a good doctor, a good person in any field is going to realize they don't know everything and be open to talking to you about your questions. I just think that's important. Well, and I think that's just one marker in the relationship. You know, let's face it, the doctors that I'm with right now are literally a team I'm going to have a long standing relationship with. And if we don't get the rules of engagement set straight up from the front, then where am I going to be in my healthcare life later on down the line when things really start to go awry, God forbid, or when things start to really go great? It would just only help everybody at the table to know, you know, where you're coming from and where you want to go, which is ultimately to a healthier life. Exactly. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. So you are, right now, you said you are about to have round five of eight. What's next for you? Yes, round six of eight as, no, I'm sorry, round five, round five. I get chemo brain. I get a little funny. I'm going on to round five. And so I have three more ahead of me. And then after that will be radiation. So radiation is uh, concentrated beams of radiation that they send to the site of the surgery to make sure that they've eradicated all the fast multiplying cancer cells there. So that is, radiation is different in that it is every day for three to four weeks, five days a week whereas chemo is once every two weeks. So that is also fatigue-inducing and can kind of turn off certain you know, functions in your body with your immunity. And I know I'll just keep on fasting right through that too. I just know it. When will that be? Like how many months from now will you be doing that radiation? I will be doing that radiation right about when this cast comes out in middle, early August. Okay. Listeners, send your healing positive thoughts, your prayers, whatever you do, send them to Melissa as she's continuing to go through this. Yes, I'm taking them all. <laughs> Thank you. I take them all. Take them all. <laughs> However you send your thoughts or your prayers, send them to Melissa. I appreciate it. Yeah, so much. Well, I'm really glad that fasting is fitting into your treatment plan 
And I'm sorry that you're having to <laughs> to, to figure fit it into a treatment plan. That I'm, but I'm really really grateful that it is, and that your team is on board. Well, what's happened as a result is, as I was saying before, I've sort of come out and I've become this like really powerful evangelical person around fasting. And in my fasting life, I think I've probably turned on at least two dozen people. Love it. I've got a very close girlfriend of mine who started early in the year and has lost 45 pounds. And her husband saw what she was up to and he started and he lost 45 pounds right off the bat as well. Wow. A close neighbor of mine, she's also been fasting. And now with the conversations that I have, I have my parents are in their 70s. They're still with me. God bless them. I'm so thrilled that they are. But we've got Alzheimer's in our family and type 2 diabetes is also prevalent. And my mom's been battling that. And my dad's been with the dementia kind of lurking. And I've turned them both on finally to fasting because they see me doing it through my chemo. They've seen me doing it in the past, but they just thought it was another crazy diet thing. But they see how it's helping me in my medical life. And they have their own set of ailments. And they've actually both started with a very gentle schedule. But it is so heartening to see that even my own family is starting to sit up and take notice and say, hey, maybe there's some benefit here for me. It's not some kooky fad. Yeah. I love that. And perhaps your medical team even will start, you know, using it with more patients besides just you after watching you go through it. You know, I can really only hope. Like I said, I remind them every time, well, you know, I'm going to fast and they're always right on board. And I can only hope that their ears are open and ready to receive that message. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exciting. Well, we're definitely going to be sending the the good thoughts your way. And isn't it just thrilling to know that you're impacting other people? You know, I sure do hope so. I just want people to know that if you're going through this horrible disease, unfortunately, 40% of the world's population will face cancer. I just read that statistic. Wow, that's a huge number. I did not know that was that large. It's horrifyingly large. And I can just say to anybody who's got to go through this, if you're a faster, don't go back to that emotional eating because it's going to put you into a place where you're going to have to dig out of even a deeper hole because that added weight will just add to your health woes. You've already got a catastrophic thing to deal with. And if you can employ fasting on any level, it is easier than you think. It's totally free and it's freeing in that I feel more in control in so many more aspects of my day-to-day life than just my food and just my eating. Right. And I can honestly thank fasting for that because it takes away a lot of that chatter. It takes away a lot of that distraction. Yeah. And that's important because you're overwhelmed with so much going on, not to mention trying to be a mom to your four-year-old daughter, you know, (laughs) trying to do your hot yoga. (laughs) Yeah, it's a hot mess if I'm not careful. (laughs) I can imagine. I can imagine. But, you know, and then fasting just takes that one bit of worry off your plate. That's important. Yeah. And actually, it's, you know, it's all those other things that people say it cuts down on your food bill and then frees up your time. And for me, I mean, I can't get enough time. I feel like all of a sudden my life has a ticker running. And we all in reality do, but I'm just really aware of it now. And we caught my cancer early, so my prognosis is really, really good. But that risk of recurrence is something that will always be pressing. It's in the back of my mind. And anything I can do to stave that off, which includes fasting, I'm going to be doing the heck out of it. Well, I'm glad you're aggressively targeting it. I think that's good. Yeah. It gives you that sense, a little more peace. No doubt. Absolutely. It's hard to find peace sometimes in this I don't call it a journey. I call it a hell ride. It's hard to find peace sometimes, but at least I can always fall back and say, all right, at least I have this thing that I know is consistent and it's easy. It's manageable where other things don't feel manageable. So it's been, it's really been also a haven for my mind. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad. We are almost out of time. And you did just give some fabulous advice to someone who's fasting while dealing with a health issue. But what advice would you give to someone just starting off with intermittent fasting? Just, you know, anyone in general. What do you wish you knew when you started or just what's that best piece of advice? I think honestly what it is is grace. To extend yourself a little bit of grace. And if you don't know what that means, it's basically just being a little more gentle with yourself because so many of us have been through the ringer with so many different plans. You know, we're expecting that feedback instantly that it's going to start working and the pounds are going to start shedding. And 
And sometimes it's inches. Take those measurements, take those pictures, take a selfie once a week, because you're going to see changes in so many different aspects of your life than just the scale. And as someone who weighs, I weigh daily. I still do. I have for 20 years. It's a habit that is very hard for me to break. And it's really easy to go ahead and get that feedback and blow the whole day because of it. But if you center it through the lens of fasting and you know that your body hormonally has up days and down days, you know that food will impact the way that that bloat will come on. When you have all those levers that you can pull, giving yourself a little bit of grace is that final crowning touch to just say, okay, I've got this. It's going to work. I just have to keep rowing in the right direction. Well, that is beautiful advice. And thank you so much, Melissa. It has just been delightful to talk to you today and keep me posted. And as I said, share that blog post, share it in the group. And we look forward to seeing it and hearing all the follow-up from you. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to kick this thing's butt. Oh, I I already know it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, girl. Thank you so much. Thank you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at resonaterecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.